Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. Before I get into today's topic, a little business. This is, for all intents and purposes, the start of a new season of My Favorite Trees. I know it's only been a month since my last episode aired, but this is the first episode I've written in seven months. I was super excited to come back to this project after spending half a year in the wilderness, and I've got a lot of ideas for topics to cover. But to help me balance work, social life, and other hobbies, I'm sticking with the every other week schedule format. I've already talked about this on my social media, but I know many of you don't use social media, so I wanted to make sure and touch base. Now for this week's tree. Every December, we can't help but get excited for that winter holiday. You know the one, with the trees set up in your house, and the colorful lights. I'm of course talking about Bodie Day. I bet you were thinking about Christmas. Don't deny it, I know you were. That's understandable though. Bodie Day is a Buddhist holiday, and in the US, for example, only 1% of the population is Buddhist. Compare that to the 65% of the population who identify as Christian, and add a generous amount on top of that to include non-Christians who celebrate Christmas anyway. But worldwide, we see over 500 million Buddhists who likely celebrate this holiday. Bodhi Day commemorates the day when Siddhartha Gautama sat underneath a Bodhi tree until he achieved enlightenment and became the Buddha. Let's talk about what this tree is, how it helped create a new religion, and how this tree-focused holiday is celebrated in the modern day. In this episode, you may experience some déjà vu. That's because the Bodhi tree, also known as the bow tree, the pipal, or the sacred fig, is, well, a fig tree. To be more specific, it is a species of strangler fig. Back in episode 8, I talked about another strangler fig important to the Hindu faith, known as the banyan. In fact, any fig tree that exhibits that kind of asphyxiatory growth pattern is referred to as a banyan much like how broadleaf evergreens are widely referred to as laurels, despite there being a specific laurel species. So growth habits of the Bodhi are very similar to that of the Banyan, but I'll provide a refresher anyway. To get specific, we are talking about the species Ficus religiosa. That species name was earned because of the tree's religious importance, which I'll get into in the back half of the episode. Last time I talked about a ficus, I neglected to mention its family connections. These trees are a part of the overall fig or mulberry family, called Moraceae. And while that family is named for the mulberry, 850 out of 1,000 species in this family are figs. With this episode, we'll have covered just two of those species, but I could still make a few more. I haven't even talked about fig fruit cultivation, or about the fig tree that provides the world with almost half of its supply of rubber. That's right folks, we get latex from fig trees. And here, we're just talking about figs. I could get into how this family is also home to mulberry trees, the Osage orange, otherwise known as nature's softball, as well as breadfruit and jackfruit. It's a big, important family. But let's get you that refresher course on what this tree looks like and why we call it a strangler. The Bodhi tree starts its life as an epiphyte, 
or a plant that grows on another plant. So a Bodhi seed will drop onto a tree, probably by a bird after it was done with it, and that seed will send a single root down to the ground from wherever it's perched and start pulling nutrients from the soil that way. At this point, several more of these aerial roots will descend and dig themselves in. This will ultimately surround and inevitably suffocate the original host plant. Now, when I talked about the banyan, I mentioned how many epiphytes, like mosses and lichens, are not parasitic, but this one is. I've learned since then that whatever it is these trees are doing here is not actually considered parasitic as per the biological definition. Parasites, by definition, pull nutrients from its host and harms it in such a way. These strangler figs are, I guess, merely using their host as an anchor, which still ends up killing them. Regardless of what the biology textbooks tell us about that, these trees can reach a height between 60 and 100 feet, or 18 to 30 meters. It does happen to get a head start because the tree started its life on top of another tree, so height isn't what these trees are really known for. Their growth is more impressive in how it expands laterally. They will stretch their branches outward and send more aerial roots down to the ground to seemingly create more and more trunks. It can essentially grow a forest of itself. Basically, the upside-down version of an aspen tree. And when the Bodhi tree decides it wants to make more of itself, the strangeness continues with its fruits and flowers. The Bodhi forms these orbs that are basically pre-figs. The flowers of the tree are inside these orbs. To get them pollinated, we need a very specific species of wasp to burrow into the pre-figs, where it will ultimately spend the rest of its life once the pollination is complete. These orbs will then grow up to be real-life, actual fig fruits, to be enjoyed by many. And when I say we need a specific species of wasp, I mean specifically for this species of fig. All the fig trees reproduce this way, and all of them have a different species of wasp from the same family required to burrow in to pollinate them. For the banyan, it was a wasp species called Euprocena masoni, and for the bodhi, we have Blastophaga quadriceps. So if we're looking for differences between the two trees, I guess there's one. There is one more difference, though, and I promise it's something you can see. It's the leaves. Both trees have semi-evergreen leaves, but the banyans tend to be more oval in shape, while the bodhi leaves are more heart-shaped. The base of the leaf will curve inward towards the stem, a shape we call chordate in reference to the heart. See words like cardiovascular for similar roots. And the tip of the leaf is pointed, giving the leaf the appearance of your classic Valentine's Day cartoon heart. Except for one more thing, the tip of the leaf is weirdly long. So imagine a cartoon heart made of silly putty and pull that bottom tip out so now it's all stretched out and skinny. That's the shape we're looking at. That's what makes this tree special. Because of the, let's go with aggressive, reproduction habits of the Bodhi tree, it is considered an invasive species anywhere outside of the Indian subcontinent in which it is native to. But you know what? That hasn't stopped folks from planting them as ornamentals all over the world, or at least where the climate is similar to its home. But hey, it's not like there's a crazy high risk of them spreading out of control, considering they require a really specific wasp species to reproduce at all, right? Right? 
Um, the wasp species has been introduced outside their native range as well. In, let's see, Florida, Israel, and Hawaii. Despite their invasiveness, the Bodhi tree does provide some environmental benefits. The extensive root systems help prevent soil erosion and promote soil fertility. The trees have been shown to absorb dust and sound, so planting them in urban areas can help make places feel less urban. And they're a good indicator of pollution. These trees are sensitive to impurities in the air and will react in such a way that lets us know we're doing quantifiable harm to any given area before it could be detected in other ways. So there are some good reasons to have these strangly trees around. One I have yet to mention being its massive significance in Buddhist faith. is somewhere in the 5th or 6th century BCE, in the northeast region of ancient India, modern-day Nepal. Here we find a prince by the name of Siddhartha Gautama. Up until he was 30, he thought life was awesome. He was super rich and was afforded every comfort and luxury he could ever want. And for the first three decades of life, he believed the whole world was like this. But one day, he witnessed true poverty. He witnessed suffering and it completely shook his understanding of the world. Siddhartha, now heavily disillusioned, abandoned his life of wealth to become a wandering ascetic so he may understand why there is suffering in the world. He did this for a while until he realized starving yourself was no fun at all. If there was a way to understand suffering and find out what it means to end it, this wasn't it. So he opted for a more middle path. He neither lived in excess, nor did he starve himself he discovered that moderation was pretty nice. Along this middle path, he traveled the region and met many people and studied many things in search for the answer of how to overcome suffering. Finally, around the age of 35, Siddhartha decided to sit down under a peepal tree and meditate there until he spiritually overcame the inevitable constant of existence that is suffering. He stayed there for 49 days, seven weeks, but when he finally stood up, he had achieved enlightenment, or in his language, Bodhi. Depending on which account you read, it either took him 49 days to achieve Bodhi, or he achieved Bodhi after the first week and spent the next six weeks undergoing spiritual trials that tested the validity of his enlightened state. In that second version, he spent the second week focusing his meditation on thanking the tree for sheltering him during his life-changing ascension. The tree did not give him his enlightened state, but it did shelter him while he found it, and that is important. Banyans, or strangler fig trees in general, already had that sort of shelter symbolism. I mean, what tree doesn't? But this event gave the Pipal supreme religious symbolism for this new following, and it was called thereon the Bodhi tree to recognize the role it played. If you were to visit a Buddhist temple or shrine anywhere in the world, you may find Bodhi trees planted nearby or growing in pots. What Buddhist doesn't hope that this tree may shelter them in the same way while they search for enlightenment themselves? And while this species of tree is considered widely important on its own, no tree is considered more important than the original Bodhi tree that the Buddha sat under. That tree is dead, but its legacy lives on. 
Buddhist followers have taken great care to maintain the direct line of the original tree by growing its sapling offspring or by taking and planting cuttings. This second method is also called clonal propagation, yet another strange way these trees can reproduce. You can simply cut off a branch or aerial root and stick that in the ground, and it'll grow into a whole new tree. Imagine if you cut off your finger and buried it in the ground and after some time, another you appeared. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But where do we find these direct descendants of the original Bodhi tree? One of them you'll find at the massive Buddhist temple in Bodh Gaya. This is said to be the location of that first Bodhi tree and the location where the Buddha reached Nirvana. But believe it or not, that isn't actually the closest link to the Buddha. On the island of Sri Lanka, off the southeastern coast of India, you will find an old, old tree called the Jayasri Mahabodhi. In the 3rd century BCE, a few hundred years after the time of the Buddha, there lived a man named Emperor Ashoka who found himself fighting incredibly violent wars. After a particularly nasty bout of bloodshed, he decided he would have no more of it. The nature of his rule took a total 180 as he publicly accepted the teachings of Buddhism and focused on maintaining a state of peace and nonviolence in his lands. As a gesture of goodwill, the emperor sent one of his nuns to northeast India to take a branch from the original Bodhgaya tree and present it to one of his kings. This turnaround by Emperor Ashoka is still regarded as one of the sharpest transitions from warmongering to peacekeeping in all of human history. Super interesting lore dive there if you're ever bored and in the mood to learn some Indian history. Anyway, this cutting was kept as a relic for a few decades until it was planted in the year 288 BCE and started growing all on its own. And I want to be specific about that year because, for the last 2000 years, monks and kings have taken the time to care for and document everything about this tree. Not only is the Jayasri Mahabodhi the closest connection to Gautama Buddha, but it is the oldest fully documented tree from planting to present in the world. And here's the thing, the current tree standing outside the Bodhgaya temple is actually a sapling from this tree in Sri Lanka. Around the world, you'll find a number of Bodhi trees that started as cuttings or saplings from either the Srimaha or Bodhgaya trees. From Hawaii to California to Japan to many parts of India, it is a revered gift to temples and patrons dedicated to the growth of Buddhism. There's even some folks who have a Bodhi tree grown from these offspring who give its cuttings away for free to any follower who wants to have that in their life. And despite this, there are actually thieves who have stolen cuttings from one of these two important peepals and sold them on the black market for millions. Regardless of how it manifests, it's clear to see how the symbolism and importance of the Bodhi tree continues to be a mainstay throughout global practices in the modern day. One way we see homage being paid is with the holiday Bodhi Day. There's actually a couple times you can celebrate this holiday. The day gets its timing from that day Gautama Buddha sat against the Bodhi tree, which is recorded as the 8th day of the 12th month. Now you're probably thinking, well that's just December 8th, plain and simple. But there are many Buddhists in China that follow the Chinese lunar calendar that doesn't line up with our Western Gregorian calendar. So there's a second Bodhi Day that changes dates every year. And because the Chinese New Year doesn't come until January or February, that means the Lunar Bodhi Day of some given years doesn't actually fall in its year of celebration. That's happening this year, which is why another date to celebrate Bodhi Day 2021 
is actually January 10th, 2022. Fun fact, in 2017, the Lunar Bodhi Day actually fell on December 25th and got to share its time with Christmas. Speaking of, Bodhi Day celebrations are not too dissimilar with Christmas. Celebrants may want to plant a fig tree in their house, or if they already have one, then they might decorate it with colorful lights. You know those rainbow lights that are kind of bottom tier for Christmas decorations? Like, you waited a little bit too long to hit up Lowe's, and they were all out of red and green and white and blue lights, but they have rainbow? Well, stringing rainbow lights on your fig tree is a fairly common modern celebration, as the various colors are said to represent the multiple paths anyone may follow to achieve enlightenment. Another similarity is to make cookies, but this is also where things start to diverge. Rather than having your cookie shaped like a snowman or Santa's hat, they would be shaped like the Bodhi fig leaf, which, if you recall, is heart-shaped. So if you've got some Valentine's Day cookie cutters lying around, now's the time to bust them out. And rather than having yourself a Christmas feast of hoo pudding and roast beast, you're more likely to have a simple dish of rice and milk and honey. And the reason for this is that when Gautama Buddha opened his eyes after 49 days of intense meditation, the first people he saw were a couple of traveling merchants. And with the newfound wisdom of eternity brimming inside him, he said, I haven't eaten in seven weeks, please help me. And they gave him rice and milk and honey. And of course, in true Buddhist fashion, Bodhi Day is a time to meditate and reflect on the purpose of suffering and how we as humans can rise above it. In the words of Charlie Brown, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Buddhist teachings tell us that that realization is normal. Now is a good time to find yourself a good sheltering tree, sit against it, and make peace with that. I've got one more episode coming out before the new year. On December 28th, I'll be revisiting the Celtic Oum Tree calendar one last time to talk about its first month, named after the birch tree. It'll be the perfect time to talk about fresh starts and new beginnings. Happy holidays, everyone. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My new script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilbert. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees, and now on Instagram as well at Tree Podcast. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.